Tony. And this is Matt. And this is What Did We Miss? A podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. Hey. Oh, hey. When you hear that, um, the startup sound for HBO, you know, the, uh, what, what show is the first show that comes to mind for you? Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. Da, 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 da. Um, did, um, I saw some, somebody just tweeted that recently. Really? That same question. Yeah. Um, and, uh. Yeah, I mean, without fail, um, the expectation is that, yeah, that that tuba is going to come in. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's it's so Larry's great. Larry's just going to look irritated. <laughs> uh, are you watching the newest season? Uh, I'm not. I am. I am very behind on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, um, which is too bad. I think I, re- I think the last season I really watched was the first one with Leon. Oh, wow. Which is a long time ago. Oh, wow. That is a long time ago. Yeah. And it's been one of those things where I've only, um, it's been one of those things where whenever there was a new season, it was sort of between us having HBO. Uh huh. And I don't know why I just haven't gone back to catch up. I think there's just a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For and, sure. And, um, yeah, I just, as much as I love, um, you know, love curb your enthusiasm. It's it's never top of mind to go back to. Although now there's there's currently a season going. Yeah. at the moment, mm-hmm. and and I do have it. So by I have it, I mean you have it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> uh, well, well, along those lines, like at what point do you feel the need to jump on the bandwagon? As far as not just HBO shows, but shows that everyone's talking about. Uh, as you know, like. When did you start Breaking Bad? Like those type of shows, the cultural conversation shows. Like, do you always feel the need to like, I'm going to wait a few seasons and hear that a lot of people are talking about it? Or is that something where you're always like, I need to get in at the ground floor? You know, to be honest, um, it's been a long time since my wife or I have had cable. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we sort of adopted the whole uh, cord cutting approach. So for a lot of things, uh, it's, I'm usually a season or so behind. Um, but depending on interest, I will sort of pounce on it as soon as it comes up on Netflix. Breaking Bad, just cause you mentioned that was certainly one that I did watch from day one. Um, because the, you know, the premise was interesting, you know, and, and, and knowing, um, Brian Cranston as the dad from Malcolm in the middle, I was like, oh, that seems really different. And I really want to, you know, I'll, I'll watch this first hour and see how that goes and, you know, watch that through the end. Something like Mad Men, I didn't catch up with for years. And then, you know, I, I think maybe three or four seasons in before I started watching it and then caught up as they were airing. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, I try to, I try to stay as sort of up on certain things. I, to the point I was making earlier about being overwhelmed by the volume of things to go back and catch up on something like Curb, uh, there's just so much. Um, you know, I have no sense of what's going on on, you know, most networks or streaming platforms just because the volume of it is is so large at this point. I think it's impossible for anyone to stay up to date with anything now. I think right. so, there's something like 400 
new scripted shows a year or something along those lines because that's insane it is like what that's that's ridiculous um it in some ways it's good because it seems like there's you know it fills that kind of role for every type of thing that can exist someone can possibly find that but you still see a lot of shows that are just kind of you know chasing the tail of another show um sure but for me it's always kind of like dependent on lots of different variables whether it's am i currently watching something where this is going to kind of intercede uh do i have too many things going on currently am i working too much you know is this something that meg's going to be interested in because if it is with a show like sex education well, you know, we watched that from the first season and we watched the second season as it aired and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for something like Stranger Things, she dropped out after three episodes saying like, no, this is just not for me. So um, there's all these different variables as far as like choosing which shows to catch up on. But I do think every once in a while there are shows that you just hear everyone talking about. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's, even if I don't get caught up with them right away, there's shows that I'm like, oh, that's definitely going on a list. And at some point, I, I have to watch this show. Um, and I've been able to stay up to date with something like The Marvelous Ms. Maisel. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I'm still watching Better Call Saul, which I think is, is pretty remarkable. Um, but the reason I ask is because today's episode is about Succession, uh, which is premiered in... 2018 so it's only two years old and there's only two seasons and it seems to be the current it show as far as the way um cultural critics are talking about it and um it's kind of ratings have increased between seasons uh, and it was like a surprise summer hit i guess well so when you say it show do you mean specifically about the way critics are talking about it because i certainly don't get the sense that it is and and, you know speaking in just about genre very different but like a walking dead or a game of thrones kind of thing i don't know that i hear a lot of people talking about it around the water cooler at work but there there does seem to be like this sort of steady buzz around it i think that type of show like the game of thrones or even like stranger things are so few and far between now um, that I think a show like Succession, which is a modest success, and, and HBO has said that the ratings are good for this type of show. So I, maybe based along those lines. But yeah, it seems like every time a new episode airs, I my social media feed is just entirely talking about Succession. Gotcha. Um, so uh, along those lines, it kind of felt like, hey, maybe this is something we should get caught up on because it seems like a lot of people are talking about it, even if that's a smaller number as far as viewership goes. And and a point of comparison is obviously Mad Men, which not a ton of people watched, but everyone sort of... It felt like everyone was talking about Mad Men at mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, and I think yeah. this feels similar. Yeah, I think the the... You know, if not everybody we know personally is talking about this like a game of thrones or a stranger things uh, certainly a lot of the people who we follow online or or go to for opinions on this kind of stuff have have been talking about it so you know i, I guess to pass it off to you a, a two-parter question here what sort of kept 
you know, why uh, why didn't you get to it sooner? And and you know, besides hearing about it, was there anything else about you know what you were seeing through commercials for it or whatever that appealed to you? I think it premiered. The first season premiered uh, shortly after. I, I want to say the second season of Westworld, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and I remember seeing trailers for it. And it had, for me, it had two big obstacles. The first was that it felt like another show about horrible people being horrible. Uh, And at that time, I was just like, I don't need, I don't know if I need another show like that right now. Not that a show like that isn't capable of being good, but I had, I guess at that point in time, I had kind of, I felt that I had my share of it, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. The second one was, uh, it was executive produced and the first episode was directed by Adam McKay. Now, and don't get me wrong, you know, Adam McKay, Will Ferrell comedies are are great. You know, Step Brothers and, and Anchorman, all that stuff. And I really enjoy that. But his political satire stuff that he's been doing for the past, um, I guess, like five years now. Uh, and that includes The Big Short and um, Vice, Vice are just almost unwatchable they're so bad um and i don't know if you've seen them but to me they're the worst type of political satire where they're preaching to the choir yet at the same time they are very much talking down to their audience in a very smug and condescending way uh with the tone of hey you rubes we know we know what's really going on and we're gonna fill you in uh that coupled with some awful filmmaking um really kind of kept me away from this initially when uh when it premiered but then so many people uh like i said on my social media were talking about it in such glowing terms and i saw that mckay wasn't necessarily associated with it um on the day-to-day uh and even recently i saw you know someone on twitter post something like oh the perfect what's the perfect season of you know, some of the best shows. And a number of people were, were all said Succession season two. And it seemed that with season two, it had gone from, hey, this is a very good show to, oh, this is an all-time show, which is kind of crazy uh, so early in its run. And you heard that with Mad Men and you heard that with Breaking Bad and Sopranos and going back to those shows. So the terms with which people are talking about this show was comparable to these other great shows of the last decade plus. Huh. Well, and we're, we won't get into this right at this moment, but we will. Uh, that's very interesting to hear. And I want to dig into that more because um, I'm a little surprised to yeah. hear that. Sure. Um, and again, like a lot of that is season two. Sure. And I did see uh, going after I finished season one, I did see that people were really hesitant about the show. And then the back half of season one came and everyone was like, no, this is actually really good. Okay. Yeah. Again, not to get into it right now, but uh, that tracks. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I I think like you, I also, it must've been around the time Westworld was on where I started seeing previews for it. And while, you know, the, premise didn't jump out at me and um uh, we can t- again we'll talk about the aversion to horrible people later um you know for me 
it, it had um, uh, Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin. Was there is there a third person in the cast who I'm I'm trying to think? Um, Maybe it's just I'm Alan Ruck. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it had, and for me, uh, you know, but it had Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin, and Alan Ruck, who are all three actors that I really, really like. Um, so that had a lot of uh, appeal to me, and just for one reason or another, it didn't get to it until we realized that neither of us had seen it yet. And and we don't always do things that are super recent. Uh, we have uh, a couple of other episodes this year have, have sort of touched on some newer things. Um, but again, uh, the folks that we follow online were talking about this enough that it seemed surprising that neither of us had watched it yet. Yeah, I don't remember which one of us suggested the show. I think I did expecting you to say that you had seen it. Ah, ah. Uh, and when I said like, oh no, that's supposed to be great. It was like, all right, we're doing that, right? <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's what happened. Right. And again, I knew nothing about it besides those three people I liked are in it and yeah. um, people I trust were psyched about it. And like to the point where I've seen people freaking out on social media about stuff that happens, mostly in season two. So I, I was just like, I don't know any of this and I'm I'm going to avoid it because the way people are talking about this and it almost felt like you know how sometimes when something happens like something big is going on and obviously like with social media you we're cultivating um our timelines so Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this in the past where like you know if we went by my social media under the skin would be like one of the most talked about movies of the year it came out but obviously not a ton of people saw that movie so you know but that's just kind of the thing that i've cultivated for my self but sometimes you will see something which kind of transcends your your own kind of social media timelines where whether it you know with the recent coronavirus or uh, sporting events or maybe even the oscars where everyone is just talking about this one thing and that's how it felt like when last season of succession was airing so why don't we get into it then let's 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 talk about it. so for the purpose of this episode we're only covering season one. And I think that was primarily because, you know, we didn't want to bite off more than we could chew. Uh, And we felt like, you know, from what I had heard, season one tells, uh, you know, sort of a complete story in a lot of ways. Um, So it felt like a good jumping off point for us, which wasn't going to be too much, but still enough where we could really um, dig our teeth into. Sure. The, the premise is pretty simple. Uh, it's essentially this billionaire and his family, and he is um, CEO of this uh, multi-billion dollar corporation, not too unsimilar from uh, our president or someone like Rupert Murdoch from Fox News. Um, and he is about to uh, turn 80 years old and sort of step down from the day-to-day running of the company and uh, pass along that uh, CEO title to his son, Kendall. As this is about to happen, he kind of decides, no, nope, never mind. I want to continue being CEO. And then so his children with Kendall, and which also includes um, Shiv, which is short for Siobhan, and Connor and Roman... Um, they're all kind of angry at him. And then he has um, a stroke. So then he's in the hospital 
and the kids are all kind of trying to figure out how to maintain the company and move forward um, now that their father is sort of incapacitated. And that's kind of like the setup for the for the pilot. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, that's really specifically the pilot. I mean, from there, you know, it deals with the the immediate aftermath of the the family trying to sort of figure out how to keep the the puzzle together with their father incapacitated. Uh, what that means for everybody, um, you know, him sort of reinserting himself into the day to day as he's recovering. It all gets very messy. And uh, so you mentioned uh, Kendall and the rest of the, the family. We should probably get into them a little bit because yeah. their, 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 their personalities are important to how this all propels forward. So their father, Logan Roy, is played by Brian Cox. Um, uh, his first child from another marriage was Connor, played by Alan Ruck. And then the rest of the three, Kendall, Siobhan, and Roman... Uh, all have the same mother. So they're um, more closely sort of involved in things. Connor is uh, older by a number of years and, and lives out West. He's sort of detached from the family in in a way. He, he enjoys the benefits of the money, uh, but he doesn't seem to get involved too much. Uh, but he typically is sort of ineffectual, <laughs> but always seems to insert his opinion. <laughs> Yeah, he 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 almost comes off as if he's above the sort of petty squabbling, but at the end of the day, relies entirely on what being part of this family means for him. Yeah, in I, terms of financial stuff, I think it's almost safe to say that the whole, all of the children rely on uh, their father, not just financially, but just uh, as far as like. They're all searching for his approval, even when he's just a monster to them. Right. I just think that Connor makes the most show of, you know, not not needing it. Yeah, correct. You know, but he clearly does. Uh, Kendall is the next uh, oldest and is the one, you, as you mentioned, in line to sort of uh, assume the role of CEO as Logan steps down. And when you meet Kendall, he is very, there's a lot of, uh, swagger and kind of like Wall Street bro bravado, but it very quickly is revealed to just be a front. I mean, he's he really doesn't have, um, and, and not to say, I feel like saying doesn't have what it takes suggests that, um, you know, what the the attributes that make his father successful are admirable, but his his father is ruthless, yeah, and is cunning and is cold and is is um malicious with people and Kendall tries to sort of have that 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 broy uh energy and, and sort of uh present himself as this tough take no prisoners kind of business guy but he doesn't have it. I think that's one of the uh one of the smart decisions of the pilot is it starts off showing Kendall trying to acquire another company. And he's such a pompous asshole, such a a big piece of shit. Just walks in, throwing his dick around, saying really inappropriate things. And then you slowly realize after that moment that uh, he is sort of not that guy. He wants to be that guy. And the rest of the season is almost feels like this uphill battle for him. And 
mm-hmm. and it's uh, there's this constant he's almost like job <laughs> he's constantly having the rug pulled out from under him and awful things continue to happen to him as the season progresses do you mean Job from the Bible or Job from Arrested Development? A little of both, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, and you know, uh, I don't even know if it's so much that he wants to be that guy so much as he thinks he needs to. Yeah. You know, so much of this first season is about his his uh, quest to gain his father's respect at, at any cost. Um you know, whether that means directly crossing his father and going against his wishes, thinking like, oh, he'll respect this because I'm that guy. But yeah, it's, um, you, you get the impression that he'd probably be a much happier person if he didn't think he needed to be that. <laughs> yeah. And you can almost say the same thing for Kieran Culkin's character, Roman, who is just that version of that awful version of Kendall at all times. He's mm-hmm. just always dialed to 10, always insulting everybody, um, which is kind of a lot of the humor of the show. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the two of them almost seem like two halves of their father. You know, yeah. I think if 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 Kendall has, you know, any kind of uh, imagination or business savvy, he has no game face, whereas Roman is all game face and is a complete fuck up. Oh yeah, has no vision and speaks in buzzwords or just brags about how depraved he is. (laughs) Doesn't seem to know what he's doing and has a lot of sexual hangups as we discover as the season progresses. But at the end of the day, he's constantly looking for his father's approval. So in the earlier episodes, he's talking plenty of shit about his father. But as soon as his father starts showing up again, um, he's kind of like, oh yeah, dad, whatever you need, dad. Because uh, he, he, he needs that. Uh, and then the last child that we haven't talked about is uh, Siobhan, or as they refer to her on the show, Shiv. Um, and she's the- Because of course, <laughs> because of course someone in this family would be named after uh, an instrument you famously used to stab someone in the back with. <laughs> um, and she's probably the one that tried- uh, seemingly has removed herself from that day-to-day nonsense of the family. Uh, But you see her sort of get roped back into it. And I think on the offset, you're kind you, my initial impression of her was that, oh, she's usually when you have these type of shows with this kind of dynamic, you have that one character that is maybe uh, slightly above or removed from the family element. Uh, and then they're slowly revealed that's it's slowly revealed that that's probably not true. Uh, and like she's almost like the George Michael of this show in a lot of ways. You know, mm-hmm. George Michael from Arrested Development, not uh, the singer. Right. Um, but she kind of is a like a political consultant. Wait, George Michael is in the kid? The father. Or did you mean Michael? Michael. Michael. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Michael from Arrested Development, not George Michael. That's a whole other story. Oh, it's been a while since I've watched Arrested Development. Um, but yeah, so she um, she is a like a political consultant, I guess. Uh, yeah, working specifically with um, uh, progressive politicians. Yeah. with an eye on the White House, which you so, know the the her their family are all um, certainly um, you know in the model of like the Murdochs. 
um, you know, super conservative. Did you get the impression, because she starts working for um, this presidential candidate about partway through the first season, uh, and who's whose platform is sort of based on taking down her father. But did you get the impression before that that that's the type of politics she was she was working in? Or did you think she... she it, to me, she came off more of like that sort of gray area, uh, like that moderate Democrat, not, not necessarily super liberal or progressive. Right. I, well, I mean... It doesn't really get explicit for any of them until sure. partway through. It's really focused on the company and the business and the sort of minutia of that. Yeah. Once, um, once Shiv aligns herself and starts working for this politician, um, who is kind of this show's Bernie Sanders. <laughs> um, yeah, sort I mean, of. They, they, I mean, they, they, they. They do play up a lot of the sort of, um, you know, they are, he is frequently um, referred to derisively as a socialist by members of her family. Um, the way they talk about him suggests that he is, um, you know, progressive to the point of being like some extreme far left fringe lunatic. Um, sure. So, I mean, it, it definitely is pulling sort of from these personalities who are uh, in the over the last few years been prominent whether they are politicians or media figures um but, but yeah anyway uh it, it really isn't until she begins working for his campaign that the the political leanings of any of them are clearly defined with her being the outlier i think in some ways that's almost this one of the strengths of the show but also one of the weaknesses is that it takes a while to reveal these things and when they are revealed, it's very organic. And I liked that nature of it. It wasn't necessarily like, we need to tell you all this information up front because it's important to these characters. It came about because of what was happening to the characters through the story. So it wasn't like this whole dump of information about them right up front about their passions and politics, or even someone like Roman and his, his uh, sexual proclivities and hangups. Uh, it was all revealed through character as the season progressed, but that was also partly frustrating up front because the first few episodes almost felt like a little padded, and unfortunately, each episode is an hour long, so you kind of really At felt least. yeah, <laughs> and so you kind of felt that really up front. Um, uh, did, uh, did you feel the same way, or yeah? I mean, let's just get into this now because we're kind of towing around it. Um, I did not enjoy this at all until maybe like the sixth or seventh episode okay it was tough and you know the the last handful really surprised me and i found myself engaged in a way i hadn't been but jesus the first the first half of this season and then some was just you know you talked about this earlier thinking this was a show that you didn't need right now because you'd had your fill of awful people being awful and i alluded to this in maybe a text thread we had going, but I think, um, you know, on top of that, just being sort of this, this trope in television, the last decade or so, um, uh, combined with everything going on, uh, in the real world in terms of, you know, um, who's in the white house right now in terms of who's controlling 
certain facets of mass media. Like I just didn't have the stomach for sitting with these assholes for an hour every night. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it definitely does take, uh, you know, what was for me an unexpected turn halfway through the season. And then from there on, we really start digging into who they are and digging into, um, what makes them this dysfunctional family. Um, and I think we'll talk about it more specifically later on, but um, there are parts of that last episode that made me think, oh, maybe this could be great. Yeah. Going forward. Sure. Um, I think what really got me through those first episodes, um, there, there's a number of things because, yes, they are awful people being awful to each other, but I think the saving grace is that they're constantly failing. They're all failing. Uh, which is which is also a double-edged sword because this is so reflective of, as you said, modern politics and uh, media conglomerates that th- that kind of oh failing upward thing that happens so much on the show feels so reflective of of what's happening right now that that could be really depressing. But as far as fictional characters and watching them just constantly butt up against each other and and losing. Uh, like I said earlier with um, Kendall, like I don't think he catches a single break in this whole season. Uh, it just gets worse for him as it progresses. So, yeah. uh, and it's not that you necessarily have sympathy for him. Uh, Cause I can't say I ever was just like, it was a weird feeling to watch a show and be like, wow, this poor guy, fuck him. <laughs> you know? Right. Well, you know, like you were saying about, um, Adam McKay's more serious movies, the last, you know, two or three he's done. There was that element of of this show preaching to the choir. I am, of, of course, I am someone who would want to see people like this fail. Sure. But, but for the first half, I don't know what it was saying beyond look at these rich pieces of shit fall on their face. Yeah. And so, you know, like, it... it you know, it became like, oh, well, what's entertaining here? What what am I going to get out of this besides, you know, this kind of like, you know, unearned uh, schadenfreude at these people because they're fictional. So like at the end of the day, it doesn't, you know, I take more glee in seeing like, uh, you know, um, some big, you know, fox asshole implode on TV or something. Yeah. You know what I mean, do you think that, Cause like obviously a show like Sopranos or even Breaking Bad, um, like with Breaking Bad, he Walt is the villain. He is oh sure he is the bad guy, and you shouldn't be rooting for Walt. You root for him in a way as a protagonist, like oh I, I want to see Walt succeed, but you don't want to see him. You don't at the same time, and especially by the end of the show. So, what separates a show from that like that with a show like this is that this is just too topical. Well, I think with something like Breaking Bad, um, you know, Walt is starting at rock bottom personally, but he's not a bad guy yet. So you sort of, you know, you don't agree with what he's doing, but you can, you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, do the mental gymnastics you mean to get behind him. But as the show goes on, you're right. He does become the bad guy. Do you think that's partly because the show started him out out as this milquetoast sort of you know, ineffectual chemistry teacher. And as it progressed and he became bad, it did reveal that he was always bad. 
Do you oh, think? Yeah, certainly. Do you, do you think that was beneficial? Because even a show like yeah. Sopranos, like Tony starts off the show by running over a guy with a car and shaking him down. Well, what the Sopranos has, or what Tony Soprano has that Kendall Roy or Logan Roy don't, uh, or that we don't see of them, is he's charming. You know, I think. When you're watching, so uh, in particular, so I've mentioned a few times, my wife and I have been watching through The Sopranos, and season four, like, they are just, like, it's so far the most evil he's been in a lot of ways. And you sort of, that's shocking when he does something especially violent or, 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 or just awful because he is a, a fun guy to hang around with. You know, when he's not raging at his family or, or you know, killing somebody or, <laughs> or, or cutting up a body and putting putting a head in a fucking bowling ball bag, um, he's funny. You know, and he, he's like, you know, you're like, you know, I I would like to sit down and watch the old Scarface on Laserdisc with this guy. <laughs> sure, um. <laughs> but then he reveals that he's a monster, and I think yeah. that's. It, you know, sort of making you feel all these things is is part of the the excitement of watching and seeing where something's going to go. In one, you know, having such different feelings about a character you've invested this time in from one minute to the next. With this, I never like it was just a baseline. I hate all these people. I never, yeah. had, you know, for the most part, rarely had fun with them. I think a lot for me, like I didn't. I didn't dislike those first few episodes. I thought they were, I thought they were okay. Uh, I thought they were padded out. Uh, and like, had you said, like maybe w- where is this going at this point? I, there was a few things that kind of helped me. I don't want to say get through it. Cause again, I, I didn't think it was bad. Uh, but a, a few things that kind of made me optimistic. One was that the way everyone talked about it. And I did hear that, it, that, by the end of the first season is when it really starts to shift. The other thing is two characters that we haven't even mentioned yet, which are a big part of the show. And that's Shiv's um, fiance uh, played by Matthew McFadden. And his name is Tom. And he sort of um, works for Logan's company um, and is given a new position at the beginning of the season uh, in charge of, um, and like like their amusement parks, their amusement right? parks. Um, and but he's also sort of again like really wishy washy around the family, uh, uh, and, and he's sort of like the low man on the totem pole that they're always sort of picking on. And then um, this character, who's probably my favorite character, shows up, and that's cousin Greg, and he is their cousin, and he shows up and. Um, his mom is basically like, this kid's a fuck up. Uh, he, he seems like an idiot. Uh, and his mom's like, go beg to your to my uncle for a job. So he does. He, he, he weasels his way into the family. Um, and because um, Shiv's fiance, Tom, is the low man on the totem pole, he instantly sees Greg as this, this person for him to exert his control and and place Greg as a low man on the totem pole, and their interactions in the first few episodes, I thought were, are were hysterical. I thought they were really funny. 
Right. I mean, similar to Kendall, Tom has his sort of um, like Wall Street douche face that he puts on when he needs to. And whereas Kendall doesn't have the sort of viciousness to back it up, Tom's just too nice of a guy. So every time he would make these outlandish and horrible threats to Greg, he would immediately be like, oh, I'm just fucking with you. I'm just kidding. Like big smile on his face, which made him seem more psychotic than the rest of them. <laughs> oh, so psychotic, yeah. But I, I have I have this list of some of the, Tom's insults to Greg from the first season. Mm-hmm. You need any help? Seriously, any help? Any advice? You know, just don't fucking bother. <laughs> Forgive me, but are we talking to each other on the poop deck of a majestic schooner? Is this a salty brine stinging my weather-beaten face? No, then why the fuck are you wearing a pair of deck shoes, man? It's that specificity with which he insults him is so great. Yeah. Were you sitting, man? In the basement? Out by the dumpsters? You little fucking turducken, you squeal. Did you bitch me out, pig man? It's, I just, I couldn't get enough of the two of them. In particular, Nicholas Braun, who plays Greg, I thought was perfectly cast for this type of character. And as the season progresses, like he's such a wet noodle, but you see him start to assert control and manipulate people in the way that the family does. And you realize, oh, this is how this happens. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody was really well cast. You know, I think that's one thing I struggled with um, when I was not enjoying the show is because I couldn't point to, you know, a thing that I thought was necessarily bad about it you know besides maybe the the episodes were a bit long or um the little the kind of like phony documentary like little zoom the slightly uh, that shit drove me crazy i hated it so so i'd like to talk about that a bit more because i think you know that is the mckay uh style and he Mm -hmm. was you know, executive producer, and he directed the pilot. So I think he established that sort of filmmaking um, mm-hmm. style, which is, it's not too dissimilar to The Office or... Or Arrested Development. Yes, that exactly. It's all that kind of faux documentary style, handheld cameras, uh, always sort of, like, do, like you said, doing the zoom thing onto like just the most pointless bullshit uh, because it's frustrating. It's almost like holding your hand. Like look at this character's hands as they're like, you know, it's not showing the actor. It's like, Oh, we have to focus on this because we're not going to allow you to see this actor do what we hired him to do. We have to show that his hand is shaking or something like that. So it'll do like a zoom into her hand. But as the season progressed, all that stuff calmed down completely. And by the back half, the last four episodes I thought were actually really well directed whether it felt like they were uh, crafting sequences in particular season uh, episode six in the back half um, which maybe we'll get into a little bit more uh, later on but there's a scene which kind of juxtaposes Kendall trying to get to this board meeting and the board meeting is happening concurrently and I was like oh this is filmmaking this is actual choices being made here as opposed to that first episode uh there was one other thing too that um kind of held kind of kept me going throughout and you know you kind of touched on it with the uh 
the 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 specificity of Tom's language and, and the you know almost bordered on sort of like this veep level of insult. Yeah, I mean, no, there like veep was throughout its run. You know, regardless of how the last few seasons felt compared to where it started. I mean, that show is a master's class in ball busting. It, it was poetry, the way those people just ripped each other to shreds. And, um, you know, this was less elegant, but uh, was a, a recurring motif throughout the season uh, that I really enjoyed. So I'm going to play a clip. Can you fuck off? Well, I think just fuck off, thanks. Fuck off. Dude, fuck off. Great idea. It's the truth. Fuck off. Just fuck off. I'm the fuck yeah. off, Tom. Fuck you, Kendall. Uh, and uh, thank you. The fuck off. Fuck off. Oh, come on, man. Fuck off. Fuck off. Fuck off. What? Fuck off. 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 No offense. Hey. Fuck off. Then fuck off. No, fuck off. Can you just get the fuck off? Oh, fuck off. Fuck off. You, fuck off. Hey, fuck off. What does oh, that tell you about off. the man? Listen. Fuck off. Now, how about you fuck off back to your little gangbang? Just to fuck off back to Washington. If you can't do it, fuck off. This is the way things are going to go, then fuck off, Dad. Calls us, tells us to fuck off. Go on, fuck off. Get out of here. Fuck off. Fuck off. Out of fucking dress. Oh, fuck off. You can fuck off. No, 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 no. Fuck off. Hey, so you can fuck off. Eating over. Fuck off. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, I'm going to play another clip uh uh which is just more specific insults. Yeah, you need any help? Seriously, any help, any advice. Just, you know, don't fucking bother, okay? You know how like everyone hates you. Well, no, that's not something I'm Oh, sure, they do. No, they mm-hmm. do. Oh, okay, fuck you very much. You look great. How about me, darling? How do I look? F-I-E, Mark. Fuckable in an emergency. Frank. Good morning. Uh, no, uh, correction, it is not a good morning for my POV because you're here and I fucking hate you. Where are you hey. sitting, man? Um, in the basement? Uh, by the dumpsters? Maybe you'll, you'd want to trade? Maybe you'll meet a wealthy widow and you can seduce her with your sad eyes. It's nice to have a hobby. I got a hobby. Hey, killing hobos isn't a hobby. Hey, can I can I ask you where you heard about this, please? Tom, it's tough to have to tell you like this, but I'm in a sexual relationship with your mother. She talks in her sleep. I'm act- I'm driving my grandpa down for Thanksgiving. Oh, Greg, fuck your grandpa. Yeah, okay, you're on you're on speakerphone, Tom. Well, I shouldn't be, Greg. You mentioned Veep. That's uh, appropriate because the creator of the show is Jesse Armstrong, and he worked with Armando Iannucci um, on The Thick of It, which is a big uh, British political show, and later did wrote In the Loop, which is a great, um, uh, another political satire, and he was a writer on Veep, so uh, makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, sure. But yeah, the, the insults and the, the, the use of uh, the F word throughout the season was exemplary. <laughs> oh yeah. I think, um, you know, they all, they all get some good fuck offs in there, but, um, Brian Cox is like a, uh, 
Jedi with it. He's <laughs> really great. Yeah. There's such disdain. Like he has such it almost seems like he has such hatred for his his kids. Uh and it's startling sometimes. Right. Especially since he, you know, early and you know, frequently throughout the season, um, you know, will say publicly that all he's ever done has been for his children. And which is just a line. I mean, he, it's really hard to tell if he even believes that a little bit sometimes. Yeah, because, um, you know, after he has his stroke and he's in the hospital for a while, Kendall starts making some big moves. He's like, well, I was supposed to be CEO. So he starts making these big choices. And as soon as um, Logan comes to, the first thing he says to him is just like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, you, what are you doing? Um, and, and Kendall's obviously taken aback. He's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I thought this is what we should be doing. And, and the reason he was making these questionable moves was because he learned of questionable business decisions his father had made. And because his father had sort of made certain decisions in isolation or, um, you know, just going by his own instincts and not informing the right people, um, there is this perception that he was, you know, Kendall would be inheriting this disaster. And it's really becomes unclear whether or not, um, you know, that would have been the case or if what Kendall was doing was worse. And, it, you know, when, he, when they do get into the sort of meat and potatoes of, you know, the business and stock, it's it's <laughs> I mean, it's all just words. And uh, you know, to keep, you know, unless for me, it became less about keeping up about what specifically the issue was than um, just based on how angry or sad either of them looked how i should be feeling about it yeah i think the show does that on purpose because there are definitely a number of moments where they get into the specificities of how this business is run uh on a day-to-day and the show to its credit never relied on you keeping up with all that information it was always about how the characters would respond to that information and i think that's a wise choice because as the season progresses um all that stuff almost seems superfluous because you know how the characters are going to interact with each other or or how they'll react to each other sure um you know unlike mad men which would occasionally make the job an important piece of it um, but not always more often than not, it was about the characters, but sometimes a certain client or, um, you know, pitch or whatever would, would, would take on a certain weight in the course of a season or a handful of episodes. Um, really the, the, what their jobs are in succession don't matter in the grand scheme of things uh, with the exception of maybe Shiv because, her professional life does come directly into conflict with her personal and family life later on in the season. We've been kind of talking loosely about uh, the season. So why don't we really get into specifics um, about the plot stuff that happens in the back half of the season. So if you're listening to this and this is like a recent show and it, and it's something that's been in your periphery and you're, you're sort of interested in, in watching this, maybe now would be a good point to 
to jump ship and go watch the show. Um, but because we're going to get into some really uh, spoilery stuff. If you don't want spoilers, fuck off. <laughs> so I think the show really kicks into high gear at, at episode six, and that's the episode where uh, Logan has come back and taken complete control of his company and Kendall is um, staging a coup. Uh, so he's getting people from the board, including his brother, um, Roman, uh, and, and, and other uh, confidants that have worked in the company to side with him to overturn his father's uh, control of the company. Yeah, there are um, legitimate concerns that Logan is not well. Um, that he is not either fully recovered from the stroke or that the stroke has impaired him to the point of him being a danger to the business. We see there's an instance of him uh, urinating in Kendall's office. Yeah. Uh, there's an instance of him pouring a cup of coffee and not realizing that his cup was full and, and spilling over. Um, a little... Uh, he makes a pass you know, at little, his daughter. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he, he thinks his... You know, and... and does he think he that she's his wife? Does he not know who she is at all? Um, yeah, so the family is rightfully disturbed, and Kendall sees this as, you know, an opportunity to, uh, you know, take what he felt was rightfully going to be his. But, you know, he does seem to believe that he is doing this in the best interest of his father as well. Again, he's not the shark that he has been surrounded by his entire life. So there are other people who sense blood in the water and want to pounce on that. Uh, you don't get the impression at this point uh, that that's n- entirely where Kendall's coming from. Yeah. That doesn't last for very long. <laughs> um, episode six starts with um, Kendall, and he's he's with someone that's part of the board. It's a friend of his named Stewie. Um, and Stewie has this great quote, which I thought summed up the show in a nutshell. And he says, I can promise you that I am spiritually and emotionally and ethically and morally behind whoever wins, Uh, which I thought was great because as it turns out, Stewie is kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be on whoever I see is ahead. That's who I'm going to 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 gravitate towards. And you see it happen continually throughout the whole season with every character. Uh, And in the end, uh, Kendall makes this last bid, uh, this last attempt to to make a plea for someone on the board to vote for for him, and so he goes out to her house and, in the process, um, kind of gets stranded and has to make his way back to the offices. And in the process, they're starting to have their meeting, and he's late, uh, so he calls in, and and it's so pathetic because he's calling in to say like, yeah. I'm voting. I'm. I'm. I'm raising a vote of no confidence, and because he's not there, everyone kind of turns on him, with the exception of a handful of people that are there. Right, and it's also. I mean, it is pathetic, but on on the other hand, too, it is that, like that speech he gives, which he has clearly planned and rehearsed. Um, it's really the only convincing time he stands up to his father and he's not there in the room to do it because later you, any other time he's had to stand up for himself or confront his father face to face. He just, he mumbles and he won't maintain eye contact and he's just so timid and 
terrified. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's also a very telling moment that, you know, uh, it could, it, it, you know, if it were, if this were a different story that even though he's running through traffic and he's giving this impassioned speech on his phone, like in a different, in a different story that could have played differently. But here it's just, uh, a sort of reinforcement of, uh, of what he can't actually do. His brother even turns on him and it's, it's so pathetic because you, Oh yeah. Building up to this episode, Roman has all this bravado about, he knows what he's doing. He knows what's the best for the company. Take a chance in him. He's going to figure it out. Don't worry. We got this. And then he's like literally sliding down his seat and his posture is just kind of like concave as he votes for his father to retain power and he turns on his brother and it's so pathetic and sad. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like Greek tragedy, but it's, it's also really, really funny. Yeah. And this is really, you know, for me, this is where the season takes off and transcends the first half. Um, Moving on from this episode. So this, this coup implodes spectacularly. Uh, Kendall is ruined. He's fired. He's thrown out. Um, one thing we haven't talked about is um, Kendall has, for a number of years, uh, been sober. He uh, had a drug problem at one point. He is divorced as a result of it. But it seems like he and his ex-wife, or they're separated. They're separated, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like they are, um, you know, he may still have uh, feelings for her. They are at least civil to one another um, and able to sort of coexist and co-parent in a way that's healthy for their children following this episode where the coup blows up in his face, he immediately, you know, falls off the wagon and we see him sort of just dive head for like, he's not just doing Coke with his old wall, wall street friends. He is just like whatever he can put in his nose mouth. (laughs) He's just like, he does like meth, cocaine, everything. It's, it's yeah. Drinking. But so, Back up just for a second. Does he immediately fall off the wagon after he gets ousted from the company by his father after the failed coup? Or does his father... Because in the public... um, The public's perception of the family at this point is that they're falling apart. So what Logan does to, to sort of get back at his son is put out these false rumors that he's fallen off the wagon... And then he actually falls off the wagon. Is is that that's the is that the way that it happens, or does he fall off the wagon first? I think what happens is so we see Kendall running through the streets of New York. There's a, this traffic jam. I think there's some sort of uh, there's a threat of like a terrorist incident or something because he's getting he's trying to get back to the city from Long Island. He took a helicopter, and the pilot said, "I can't. I'm not allowed to fly. I will be shot down." If if I try to fly you back to the city. So when he makes that impassioned plea on his phone, he's running through the traffic. What his father either orchestrates or allows to happen is this narrative through their news agencies that Kendall Roy was seen in a drunken, drug-crazed stupor running through the streets of New York screaming. Um, so sort of taking the incident as it was and... Uh, demonizing Kendall as a a way of revenge. But I think, you know, whether or not 
uh, you know, distrust from his uh, his wife uh, or general public perception sort of pushes him over the edge. Either way, the 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 coup not going his way and his being fired is sort of the catalyst for, um, yeah, his his return to to drug use. So after episode six, you know, with their the company's public perception in the in the the doghouse someone pitches the idea that maybe they should do a family group therapy session so they 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 go to to connor's ranch where he is actually holed up with a former call girl who is now his live-in girlfriend and she wants to be like a, a a a writer for for theater and the rest of the family is they look down on both of them but he's kind of looking at as this way to like, let's get all our family together. We'll air all our grievances out. And Kendall doesn't show up because uh, he's clearly mad at his father. But they get this famous therapist there in, in the room. And they're, so Shiv and Roman and Connor and Logan are all in a room together. And, uh, and you could tell Logan just does not give a shit. Hates it. Hates it. Uh, condescends to the psychiatrist to his kids and his kids don't care they're just like yeah we we know you don't care we don't give a shit about this but they kind of need the pr at this moment uh and they take a break and and the psychiatrist goes swimming in the pool and knocks out his two front teeth and and i'm only realizing this now and wish i had done a little more research to dig into the significance but um the ranch that connor owns on I, I think several thousand acres of um, conservation land is uh, appears to be like an old Spanish mission. There's a church there. Um, at one point, somebody asks him what it, what the name of it is, um, and he says, uh, "Well, it was racially insensitive, so he changed it to Austerlitz." Which <laughs> I'm turning. It appears that um, the Battle of Austerlitz was a significant. Um, battle during the Napoleonic Wars. And, and one thing uh, Connor brings up repeatedly is this sort of obsession with Napoleon. At one point, bragging about a Napoleon podcast he's going to start. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, they also host this event, uh, or Connor does at one point, and he gets so connected to this idea of running the event event properly to the point where he's yelling at staff about how much they're fucking up and how all the silverware is in the wrong places. Like that's the extent of what he does for his family and for the business. Right. He fires all of them. And then once it's clear that people are happy with the event goes back in, he's like, it was all cause of you people. We all did it. This is a team effort. <laughs> Don't let anyone tell you different. Um, but I mean, Alan Ruck is great yeah. at that type of character. And later on in the season, he decides he wants to run for president because he thinks it could, it'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God damn it. Um, but you know when you're watching uh, him, you're just like, oh, man, like this is... This is how it happens. This is how it happens. <laughs> People with a lot of money failing upwards uh, mm-hmm. is the show. There's another line from episode six, and I believe it's, it's um, Tom to Greg. And he's... He says, once Greg has got his first paycheck, Tom says, being rich is better than being a superhero. And it, and it's so gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Oh, he takes him to that weird pop-up dinner where they eat like an entire deep-fried endangered bird or something head first. <laughs> oh, <it's> so gross. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like there's all this pageantry like they you know Tom's like you have to put your napkin over your head so you don't see it to hide the shame of what you're about to do. The the season culminates in 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 Shiv and Tom's wedding. So we get to see um, all the sons and Tom go on. Um, they have like a bachelor party where they go to this, I guess this sort of abandoned warehouse that they have to get through, get to by walking through some train tracks. And it's sort of like this, it's not an orgy, but it's sort of like they explain it's orgy it as adjacent. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> that's a good word. That's a good way of putting it. But it's basically you could go there and and have like whatever sexual desire that you want. Um, uh, it 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 is made available to you because they're all just disgustingly rich. Uh, question. Yeah. Did you think that Tom was going to try to fuck Greg at this weird sex dungeon? Huh. Because he there was definitely like this weird. You know, there's this vibe he seemed to put off with Greg. And I thought he was going to, you know, try to, you know, you know, some sort of like gross abuse of power kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which did not end up happening. I don't know. It, I was get, it, Tom is such an odd character. And I keep saying things like odd and strange. And that's, I'm not like, I don't mean to. Like, you know, fun, whatever. Like, I'm not yeah. saying, like, the idea of, of the two of them hooking up is the odd part. The odd part is the the sort of energy that Greg, I mean, that Tom has with Greg specifically. And it almost felt like it was it was going to, like you said earlier, Greg was the, you know, the only person he could, you know, he was Tom's mark. He was the guy he could push around. He was the person he got to do um, the dirty work. We didn't talk about earlier in the season where... Tom found out that the company had been hiding this um, unofficial rule they had with their cruise line that they would bury any illegal activity that happened on the ships. Uh, Greg asked what kind, and he says murder, sexual assault, rape. Greg says, oh, so the bad ones. <laughs> um, and he had he had Greg dispose of all the evidence because he could push Greg around. So when they got to this this weird sex dungeon, I thought, he was going to take that um, power dynamic to uh, a very unfortunate endpoint by maybe forcing himself onto, onto Greg, Greg you know, into, into a way that Greg was not willing to engage with. You know, I don't know if I thought that, but I don't know if that came across to me as I was watching it. But I think if that were to happen going forward, that it, I, I would say like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, it is implied that Tom and, and Shiv are, are, are pretty compatible sexually. Uh, but other, there is that weird moment where Tom shows up with a black eye and implies that he got it from them doing weird sex things. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and I, Roman's like, oh yeah, cool. Keep talking about fucking our sister, man. It's not weird. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it's funny because that, so this whole sex um, bachelor party um, ends with Tom getting a, 
a blowjob and then she um, kisses him and and puts his sperm back in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And they're all like weirdly okay with it, but still sort of making fun of him. And he's like, yeah, it's a thing that people do. Yeah, yeah. Snowballing. Yeah. Um, because... Which I only, which I only know... F- from Clerks, because there's that that character. Oh yeah, in the movie who talks about it. But yeah, they they every, like one by one they all sort of catch up with him at the end of the night or the following morning, um, and you know four times he hears, oh, so I heard you swallowed your own load. Yeah, <laughs> they keep repeating. And he's it like, too. yeah, it's fine, it's cool, it's yeah. a thing people do. A- like he's immediately on the defensive about it, and they're just saying it like, good for you, man. Yeah, glad you had a good bachelor party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and throughout this. Uh, back half of the season two, we learn that Siobhan has um, this ex-fling that is also working for this presidential hopeful that um, she is consulting for. And it is implied that they had this tryst um, before Tom was in the picture and the possibility of them hooking up um, uh, in the in the present is very strong. And she keeps implying mm-hmm. to Tom that like, hey, whatever, we're cool. We we have an our relationship is understanding. So when he sw- swallows his own cum, she's just like, yeah, whatever. She kind of blows that stuff off. Um, and by the end of the season, she does sort of succumb to this um, former lover and they end up sleeping together. Uh, and it all comes to head at their wedding where after the ceremony and during the reception, she goes up to her room and she's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to be in a relationship with you. Um, or, yeah. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if a monogamous ro- a marriage is, is what I'm built for. Yeah. And it's an interesting scene because normally that would play as if, how dare you? Uh, but instead they kind of like sort of come to terms with it and accept what their relationship is. At least that's sort of the way it played to me. And then Tom immediately goes downstairs and confronts the the ex boyfriend and is just like, "I think you should leave." Yeah, it's it's it starts to feel like this thing where Tom is feeling emasculated and wounded by it, um, and the only thing he asks of her is is yeah, he's like, "Can I tell him to go home?" Yeah, it's- and then he goes and he gets to and he gets to put on the show and. Um, the guy is drinking a glass of wine. He's like, don't finish that wine. My parents paid for it. Put it back. And he makes him pour it into a bottle. And, um, he gets, he gets his, his big, like tough guy chest out moment. Also Roman, uh, brought to the wedding as his date, the woman that (laughs) Tom hooked up with at his bachelor party. Yeah. We learned throughout the season that Roman has a lot of hangups and he doesn't really have, a lot of sex if he if at all um and there's one scene early on where he goes into his office after he's supposedly the new um not ceo what's the other coo the cfo is it the coo or is he yeah where so he's the new coo after his father's incapacitated and he goes into the room and he closes all the blinds and he masturbates in front of this the window and they're in this massive skyscraper um, so they haven't really elaborated what's going on with him kind of yet, but they definitely allude mm-hmm. that he has intimacy problems with women, uh, but he definitely gets off on power and money and, and all these 
other things associated with with the business. What also comes out at the wedding is um, he starts going off about how when he was a kid, Kendall would lock him in a dog cage and make him eat dog food. And he would run around, you know, here at the wedding as an adult trying to a tell people about it. And then B he's going for confirmation to his other siblings. And the consensus quickly becomes, Oh, you liked it. And you asked us to do that. We're pretty sure that was just cake, but like you clearly wanted to be in there. And he either has no recollection or has, you know, through whatever, he needed to do to sort of be okay with what had happened, um, convince himself that it was done to him. And who knows? I mean, it's not something that they have explored much beyond that. Yeah. But it is this other odd piece of his character and the entire uh, family's dynamic, especially among the kids. Um, I mean, who? I mean, they, clearly they are all very tragically fucked up in ways that <laughs> the first season only begins to scratch the surface of. So the whole family is at, at Shiv's wedding, and Kendall um, is completely shit-faced. Kendall is making one last play to, to, to buy controlling interest in the business, uh, thus taking it away from his father and from his family um, through this sort of... Uh, drugged up machinations of of scheming with his friend Stewie, who we've talked about, and also um, Sandy, who is uh, his father's like oldest rival. And this this guy, Sandy, is the head of a, a rival company or something. They've cooked up this scheme to, um, at the wedding, while Logan and these key stakeholders in the corporation are in London for the wedding, and that's sort of... Uh, isolated from their assets and their resources um, to spring this hostile takeover on them. And yeah, he's getting edgy. He's given his father the letter of intent or whatever. It's a difficult situation because he's like, well, yeah, let's obviously wait till after the wedding. And, and, and these other, his business partners are like, no, we're doing it now during the wedding. And you have to do it. You have to present it to your father. And that scene is great. He hands his father a letter and Logan is typically um, bullheaded about it. He's like, no, fuck you. This isn't happening. He takes the letter, throws it in the toilet. Kendall leaves. And then we see the first real moment of weakness. I mean, earlier in the season, he has the stroke and we see him physically ill and not, you know, operating at 100%. But he is still this titan that they all think he is. As soon as Kendall leaves that room, he fucking panics. And it's it's the only moment of true weakness we see. The only, like, you know, gap in his armor. Um, and that was, uh, you know, maybe like within the final 20 minutes of the episode. And I was like, that was one of the, the big hooks for me to be like, maybe I should stick with this in a season two. Because we finally saw more of him than just this ogre that's partly i think because maybe he was like incapacitated for a large portion of the season and so he in some episodes he's almost catatonic and at least in the first few episodes and so it's a lot of what we see of him is sort of putting on a front uh to make sure that no one sees that physically he is his body is just dying and mm-hmm. and so 
you never see that break until that that moment right there. Shiv was going to she was going to she was she had found out about the the cruise cover-ups and was going to give that to her um the candidate she's supporting as ammunition um and what ended up happening was a bartered sort of um I guess a ceasefire. She was not going to let him know about that if her father promised to call off his dogs in his news network who had uh, live on television uh, uh, this politician's wife had committed suicide a couple of years prior to this and the the anchor um, was really aggressive about it and suggested that maybe it was because of something he did. Yeah. So clearly they were becoming very nasty and personal in their um, political attacks on him. So Kendall is edgy having given his father um this letter declaring their intent to take over the company. He's looking for um, some Coke. Stewie doesn't, Stewie says he doesn't have any. I think Stewie is recognizing that, you know, we need to be sharp to make this thing happen. So it's probably not a good idea. Kendall goes to uh, find some drugs, ends up connecting with one of the servers at the wedding. Um, who knows a guy, they go to get Coke uh, they're driving. Kendall's driving the car, and there's a deer in the road. the The server sees it, jerks the wheel. The car goes into a pond. Kendall's able able to get out, and the server dies. He drowns. Kendall gets back to the party, and the next morning, is he hears that uh, this person has died. So it's confirmed to him, and his father calls him in for a meeting and explains that he that Kendall's room card was found uh, near the accident site. And suddenly Logan is very fatherly and gentle and I have the resources and our people know the police here and I can just, I can take care of you. I can take you back into the fold and we can reconcile. Let's just make this all go away. And had Kendall not left, you know, this was this ended up being the ace up Logan's sleeve. He had no out and he knew it. And that's where that panic in that scene we were talking about earlier came from. He knew he was fucked. And then Kendall, being Kendall, <laughs> um, you know, uh, uh, did this horrible, dumb thing. And Logan being Logan pounced on it. And now suddenly we've thrown a little bit of the Kennedys into the mix in terms of, you know, they were a little bit Murdoch's, a little bit Trump's. And now we have this kind of what's going to happen with their version of Chappaquiddick hanging over season two. It's such a sad, pathetic moment and so incredibly dark because he's hugging his son and telling him everything's going to be okay as he's manipulating him in the grossest mm-hmm. way possible. And it was definitely a moment where I think the show switched into another gear where I was like, okay, I, I know what this is doing now and I'm pretty excited to see what happens next. Right. And especially like, how is their dynamic going to change? Is he going to continue to manipulate Kendall this way? Yeah. Or is he going to go back to what he was and just always, and just, hang it over his head and rub his nose in it because Logan has by the end of this season shown uh, several more sides to himself than, 
than he does for the, for the majority of the run of it. We've talked a lot about the family, but we, we, we keep forgetting to mention um, Logan's wife. And uh, that's Marsha, and that's played by uh, Hayam Abbasis. Um, and she's sort of, so I guess, do we know what number she is? It's definitely second or third. Oh, it's a third because Connor's the, so yeah, so she's the third wife. Connor is his first, his first marriage. And then the other three kids are from his second, second marriage. And we meet, uh, their mom in, in the wedding episode. And she's Mm -hmm. this, she's British and she's also very cold, uh, (laughs) and very mean to her children and kind of, um, uh, talks down to them pretty often as she's going around the wedding telling everyone like how long do you think it'll last going back to Marsha it, it's almost implied that she is sort of in control of Logan like you get the sense that she's she because she constantly telling the kids like oh he was he was sick and like like legitimately sick so you need to give him time but at the same time it seems like they're on the same page so her relationship and or their relationship in general is a little mysterious so that's another interesting thing maybe that they're setting up for the next season where we maybe learn more about her and how much control she actually has over logan yeah because one big part of um the beginning of this season is this idea that the kids all think that she's some kind of gold digger yeah um there was a um some paperwork that Logan or, you know, as far as the kids were concerned, quote unquote, Logan wanted them to sign sort of changing the conditions of how the family's money worked. They all suspected that Marsha was manipulating, um, their father and taking advantage of his, his recent illness to, to sort of, um, you know, maybe pull some strings and to, to reshape things that were more favorable to her than, than to the kids. But like you said, we later there's um there's a scene where where Logan and Marsha briefly aren't going to go to Shiv's wedding, and sh- uh, Marsha makes the phone call to Shiv to tell her that and says, "Oh, you know he's not feeling well. The doctor says he shouldn't travel." But when we see Marsha and Logan in the room, Logan's just like, you know, sitting upright in a chair with a cup of tea, looking like, you know, the puppet master behind everything. Um, so it is really difficult to get a, a sense of what Marsha's intentions are because we sort of get a lot of other people's opinions about her. She really hasn't had, outside of some moments throughout the season, really any, um, you know, real episode or, or story beat to really uh, define herself as much as the others have. Now that we finished the first season, are, are you going to start watching the next season? Are you going to give it a break? Or yeah, I got to give it a break. I am in no rush. I I will um, gladly admit that the last four episodes in particular really um, did a lot to get me interested in where it goes from here. Certainly, that last one was a you know really ended on a doozy, but. Um, yeah, it was a it was a lot, and I you know probably did not watch it the right way. I was <laughs> I, w- I was watching it very. I think I probably watched the whole run of it in about a week. Yeah. Um, and it is you know it's not a pleasant show, and I did not begin to really enjoy it until halfway through. Uh, you know, so I basically sat through uh, what 
equates to two movies I didn't really like <laughs> before <laughs> I got to the stuff that I did. Uh, and again, it um, the performances are great. Um, I don't know that either of us have really spoken enough about how good Karen Culkin is in this show. Yeah, he's awesome. I, and especially, um, I mean, he's got great moments throughout and is sort of like, you know, he he was part, he was a big part of that breadcrumb trail, keeping me invested. But especially in that last episode, his you know he was given this big responsibility to oversee a satellite launch out of Japan for the company. And because he's a moron, he thinks it would have been special to uh, accelerate the launch proceedings to happen on the day of the wedding, as he said, like fireworks. And what ended up happening is the fucking thing blew up. So. We see him watch the explosion and then just kind of the same way he melted when he uh, abandoned Kendall during their first coup. He just kind of like slinks out of the bathroom where he watches it and people ask him about how the launch went. He's like, yeah, no, fine. went good. It was great. And he's just like jittery and terrified and then overjoyed when he hears that the worst of the human damage or uh two people lost thumbs and there might be a guy with an arm they can't save <laughs> <laughs> yeah well um, he knows it's his fault because he's the one that pressured the company to accelerate the timeline for this mm-hmm. uh and he's been bragging about it for yeah. episodes at this point yeah he, it's like it's his thing and tells shiv like it's gonna be like fireworks and she's just like i don't care roman like none of them yeah. cared about it but he's like no this is yeah. this is great this is big and then he's yeah, you watching overhear it. them you overhear them talking like in the background and she's like I don't want to rock it at my wedding he's like no we can project it and you know and then he'd be like it's not my fault that it reminds you of dicks like who and why is that a bad thing and <laughs> but like it's it's just like they do do these moments where there are these sort of side conversations happening behind what you know the camera might be focused on or or what might be the the important part of a scene um, the details in the background really go a long way to sort of contextualize and, and add some, some fun flavor to uh, these characters and the situations, especially in the back half. Did you know that this is shot on film? I did not. Yeah. A little startling to learn that. <laughs> but not that it's entirely necessary. I do think, like I said earlier, that as the show progresses, it, its visuals get better especially those last few episodes, there's actual, it feels like there's a little more thought put into how the scenes are crafted. And there are actual, some frames that I thought were really pretty, pretty beautiful uh, where I don't know if it ever justified needing to be shot on film, but uh, I, I think it was slowly getting there. Yeah. The, the, um, the bachelor party in particular, it was, you know, very, it's in a dark warehouse with a lot of very like, um, extreme, uh, kind of like weird lighting happening. I remember thinking, oh, this looks better than I would have thought something like this should look. Yeah. And there's kind of like a bit of a wonder where it's going from character to character as they're migrating through different social groups. Uh, and it doesn't cut at all because it, 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 and it feels kind of, oddly tense for something that's supposed to be celebratory um and and that's when i started really perking up like okay yeah all right they're starting to refine the style of the show but the main kind of de facto camera move is like a a two shot you know where one character is in focus and the other character is out of focus 
the character that's in focus says something about the other character and then it racks focuses to the other character to get their reaction and that seems to be like the main thing that it the show relies on at all times so you have these two characters almost interacting as it shifts focus um yeah and then you know throwing a an unnecessary like minor zoom on for a little extra stank yeah i think they really calmed down with that by the end where it wasn't intrusive i thought it was really aggressive in the first few episodes in particular the first episode it was just like that that sort of handheld camera thing where they had to probably tell the camera guys to move the camera even more uh as because it just felt so unnatural and it's a style that i've never really taken to so i was really happy when that sort of went away by the end so yeah so what about you are you gonna jump into season two anytime soon yeah i think i i might watch the next episode tonight uh I finished this like a week ago uh, and I was like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't want to get into it right away because I didn't want to color this conversation and I didn't want to talk about the show in terms of like, oh, but just wait, just wait. So I really wanted it to be season one. So um, and I think I probably took to it a little quicker than you did because uh, mm-hmm. the humor and the performances really got me through it until the back half, which I thought was pretty terrific those last four episodes I was like oh I really I'm really enjoying this and it ends on such a note where I'm just kind of really curious to see where it goes and that coupled with the fact that people are talking about season two as if like you know it's the second coming uh has me pretty excited to see where it goes cool yeah I mean to be honest um this point last week um I I would not have guessed I would be this pleased with how the rest of the season went. Yeah. I mean that I really, you know, not to beat a dead horse here. I, I just I was having a real hard time with it. It was feeling like homework in a way that, um, you know, is really a first for something we've talked about. Sure. Um, and, and to be honest, I'm a little disappointed cause I was, I was like, we haven't, I haven't talked about something I really disliked, you know, I mean, outside of cats, but we both agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, and that was fun all things considered, um, I, uh, you know, four episodes in, I was expecting to sit down to record this and, and, and really like not have a whole lot to say. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was, it surprised me and, um, you know, excited, but not especially eager at the moment to, to keep up with them. I do think it probably plays well week to week because they are hour long episodes and, there's enough stuff to chew on and a lot of really quotable moments that you could kind of uh, linger on as the week goes by. After finishing this season, I started reading a bunch of reviews of it and it seemed pretty split where people were like, oh, I liked it from the beginning. And a lot of people were just like, no, it only got good at season six, at episode six, uh, like like you just said. And and it seemed like a lot of reviews were like, I skipped it, but people told me to get caught up because episode six was great. And I'm glad I did because those last four episodes are terrific. So it doesn't, you're not alone in that. It seems to be, that's, Mm -hmm. that's pretty much the sentiment. So I do think that if I had started this, um, when it premiered and watched that pilot, I probably been like, yeah, I don't, I don't need this right now. And I did stick through it because, again, like everyone was like, no, this is this is great. And obviously, like it was our homework. And and I thought it, it was pretty funny. And then it really kicked into high gear. And I was like, no, OK, now now I'm on board. 
So, um, what would you recommend, you know, if someone's into succession, if they have seen the first season, if they're, uh, have watched even the, you know, assuming that the themes stay consistent, um, what would you tell someone who's into this show they should check out next? Um, yeah. So, you know, I had mentioned this briefly earlier, but, uh, Jesse Armstrong, who's the creator of the show, co-wrote the movie in the loop. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's from 2009 and it's directed by, uh, Armando Iannucci, who's also, again, uh, as I mentioned before, wrote, um, um, Veep. And it's that similar type of concentrated verbal, uh, sardonic humor where they're just constantly insulting each other but it's a concentrated burst of it as opposed to, you know, several seasons of it like Veep. Uh, it's got a, an amazing cast. It has James Gandolfini and Peter Capaldi uh, and Zach Woods uh, and Anna Chomsky, who's also... So they're, they're both in Veep as well and, uh, and a bunch of other Veep alums. But you haven't lived until you've heard Peter Capaldi leave a conversation by saying, fuckity bye. <laughs> with with such conviction and it's, it's such a great movie uh it's so quotable um uh and in much the same way that um succession is what about nice. you well um you know that first half of the season i couldn't help but feel like i'd rather be watching arrested development or <laughs> even something like the righteous gemstones which are both shows about fabulously wealthy awful people but I think because they are comedies first, they're a little more palatable. But what I'm going to recommend came out of um, the episode Austerlitz, which we discuss is when they all go to Connor's ranch and have this group therapy session. So I'm going to recommend the Metallica documentary, Some Kind (laughs) of Monster. (laughs) That's awesome. Which came out in 2004 and was directed by Joe Berlinger and Bruce Sinofsky, who directed the... um, the Paradise Lost trilogy about the West Memphis Three, uh, which those are great, uh, especially now that everybody's so into true crime. Those are worth checking out as well. But so some kind of monster documents Metallica at their lowest point uh, creatively. And, uh, you know, in terms of their relationship, they are clearly fabulously wealthy at this point. They are no longer just these kind of scrappy um, thrash metal trailblazers. They've kind of been commodified and, you know, consensus is they lost their edge and nothing says quite like we still have our edge, like bringing in a therapist to work with you in the recording studio and let the world see what a bunch of dumb man babies you've become. Um, the documentary plays, um, a lot like spinal tap, but real, um, their bass player Jason Newstead leaves um, in the in the process. Um, there are, you know, personality conflicts. There is this, you know, very memeable sequence where they bring in Dave Mustaine of Megadeth into their group therapy because of how shitty they were to him in the past. But it it is very much, um, you know, a snapshot of a kind of family the one hand at the height of their powers, but also at this real, 
you know, nadir of their careers and relationships. And it's, it's fascinating. Even if you don't like Metallica or, or like metal, it is a, it's a weird look at celebrity in a way that that particular episode of succession really reminded me of. Uh, that's a great um, comparison, especially because, and we didn't really talk about this too much with Succession, but both some kind of monster and Succession have moments that feel to me that they play like a horror film where it has that tension, that rising tension of these people saying awful things to each other. It's not that actual physical violence. It's like verbal violence to each other where they're just cutting each other down and you feel it and it, it plays like horror. Um, mm-hmm. but there it's some kind of monster is so much fun, especially as a document of like one of the worst records <laughs> that they've, they've ever right. put out. It's just, it's so bad. And the roles that they sort of take on, uh, you know, James and Lars are clearly the parents. Yeah. Uh, there, there's one point where they're like, you know, we're not going to have solos on this record. And it whips over to Kirk Hammett. who's just like a child being told that like the one thing he that his family loves about him is no longer important. He's the only one that comes off okay in that because he seems like such a genuinely likable dude uh, and, yeah. and so well-meaning. And he's just like, oh, come on, mom and dad, just get along. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about next time? Well, next time uh, we're going to be talking about uh, something I've hinted at over the course of a number of episodes, and we're going to be playing through the uh, LucasArts point-and-click adventure game from the early 90s, Sam and Max Hit the Road. I feel like I just threw word salad at you. <laughs> I Yeah, I don't. That is not a reference that I get. <laughs> I didn't really play any point-and-click games. Not that I can recall, um, but the name Sam and Max was familiar, so you know when we started talking about this episode i did look it up and the comic although i've never read it i am familiar of the comic um so and so i've seen the characters i'm aware of the characters so and i i may am curious to see how uh, a game from this is the mid 90s early 90s uh probably 92 or 93 uh to see how a game like that that's a point and click how that plays out yeah i mean these um this was one of several games that uh, LucasArts, which was the computer game company that George Lucas spun off of Lucasfilm. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this genre of game, and in particular, the games LucasArts made in this period of time were um, really my first exposure to computer games. And also, because they were very narrative-focused, um, and I played them at a particularly impressionable young age, um, really informed a lot of sort of sense of humor and... Um, a sensibility in terms of what I look for in certain types of stories. So I'm really excited uh, to share this with you. And um, I believe we'll have a guest as well. Yeah. Um, we're going to be joined by my brother, Jeff Ferrara of the Game Sharks podcast. Uh, so if you haven't listened to their podcast, you should check it out. It's a weekly uh, sort of video game news podcast, but uh, they talk about what they're playing and they're also doing a video game club sort of like a book club where they sort of like what we do they're catching up on older games that uh uh you know were critically acclaimed or um things that they've missed so it's a it's a it's a fun podcast so check that out but he's going to come and he's never played any point and click type of games before uh he's uh he's 
considerably younger than I am. So, um, although he's a big video game fan and he educates me about modern video games, he doesn't know a lot about some of those earlier stuff. So that should be a lot of fun. And you were recently on his show, correct? Correct. I guessed it on his show and as part of their game club, um, they uh, did an episode on Super Metroid, which I just so happened to have been playing. Um, so it felt like a apropos for me to hop on and, and, and talk about my experience with that. It was a lot Great. of fun. Yeah. So check that out. Game Shark Podcast. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you then. Yep. See ya. Thank you for listening to What Did We Miss? You can find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. You can also find us on social media at What Did We Miss on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And thanks, as always, to the What's Your Writers Club in downtown Providence. You can find out more about them at whatscheerclub.org and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatscheerclub.org.